You're listening to episode two of the Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. Today's episode is brought to you by Due Diligence. Due Diligence, your number one defense to insidious propaganda. Enjoy Due Diligence right from the comfort of your own home. On today's episode, Gary Johnson's Libya Gaff, the subtle propaganda of the Commander-in-Chief Forum, the art of ambiguity, and we read some provocative headlines about Greta Van Susteren. Here is Monica Perez. This is the Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley, where we tell you what the news really means. How are you doing, Binkley? Um, I'm good. I'm all right. I was a little better earlier. I, have you ever put your pants on or your jacket from your closet and and uh, found what you thought was like a 20, you know? Yeah. I yeah. did that. Turns out it was one of Hillary's lost emails and... Uh, <laughs> It was to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Somehow it got in there. We're, we're getting it- email leaks every day. <laughs> Someone slipped it in there. It was it all bleached out? You could hardly read it. There was bleach bit. It, it bled through my pants. I can't ever wear those pants again because bleach bit just destroyed it completely. <laughs> I, well, I, I noticed that story. Like the latest installment of that story was that they destroyed the emails after they were subpoenaed, which I went to law school. You went to law school. Right. You go to jail for that. I mean, you go to right. jail just for lying to them to destroy records. I mean, you really all this other stuff is nonsense. Or I shouldn't say it's nonsense, but the other stuff I can see it being political theater. Uh, right. Was it classified? Yeah. Was it Marsh classified? Was it a header was classified? But then they they start with this uh, destroying stuff. Like someone's like, oh, we shouldn't say that because someone's right. going to have to go to jail. Yeah, it's like a team facilitation event for Hillary and her staffers. They get together and destroy some emails as a way to bond with each other. <laughs> there was there are rules sometimes in uh, organizations that have sensitive materials like that, where the rule is destroy everything. Like as soon as the deal's done or the case is closed, destroy everything so that. You don't have to destroy it after you get the subpoena. Right. I'm Didn't not going to say I ever worked in a place like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, plausible deniability. I'm just saying there. I've seen that rule in writing. Didn't they give like a couple of people? Um, they they didn't make them be prosecuted or something. Oh, like prosecutorial immunity. Yeah. The other thing that I think is crazy. And I, I've asked every lawyer I come up with. I've asked this question to. That they gave Judicial Watch not only the right to have access to these compute these uh, emails, but the right to depose people. Like they could call Hillary into just a private deposition or whom Abedin. It's the craziest thing. It just can't be true. I'd can't like to be know real. what they have, what those two are hiding. Yes, well, they don't hide too much. That wiener thing kind of lays it all out there. She got that out of her life. That's yeah, whatever. I just know that always seemed like a psyop to me. But Did I you can't... see the picture with his kid. He was... No, why would he keep doing it? You know he, what I mean? mean? He's in good shape. I'm going to give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. I don't know. I just feel like when it gets that ridiculous, that totally no person with half a brain would do it. Then you've got to think of it as a psyop. Yeah. Yeah. So should we, speaking of half a brain, should we address the Aleppo issue right out of the gate? Yes, Aleppo. A, a Aleppo. So here's the story. Gary Johnson, who's the libertarian candidate for president, was on Morning Joe or MSNBC, whatever. 
and Mike Barnacle asked him, and I will say, I, I, don't, I didn't spend forever on it, but I went through all the YouTube videos to see the entire appearance Gary Johnson made on that show. And I did not, I couldn't find it. I could just find it where it starts with Mike Barnacle saying, what would you do about Aleppo? <laughs> it's so funny the way you do. You have to watch the video. It's on my website right now, Monica Perez Show. I, I saw the first few clips of it. I mean, it's yeah. not, you're talking about a little piggly looking Elmer yes. Fudd guy, right? <laughs> yes, I, did, I actually didn't know who he was, but I've heard this name a lot. Aleppo, right? And and Gary Johnson says something to the effect of, "What is Aleppo?" As in Aleppo, like what was this guy even saying? It was obviously out of context, but I couldn't find the whole clip. So I, I can't tell what the context was or how out of context it was. I thought he was drunk while he was saying it when I was watching it. Barnacle? Yeah. It was weird. So it was obviously a setup. No, and right, totally. I mean, can we not agree? It was absolutely a setup. They were trying to make him look foolish to give a soundbite that everybody could take and be like, look at him. He doesn't know anything about Syria. You can't vote for this libertarian. Right. But but they didn't. And then he said, oh, he said, what are you talking about? He said, Aleppo, the ground zero for the refugee crisis in Syria. It's like, oh, if you want to talk about Syria, I have an answer for you. But I'm not defending Gary Johnson because I, I, I recognize the name Aleppo. And I would know, basically, I, I wouldn't know that he was asking a question about refugees. What would you do about Aleppo? What would I do? I would march everybody home. But that's not what he was, at. you know, he was asking about the refugee crisis. But it reminded me of the Sarah Palin thing, her first big interview where the guy asked her what she thought about the Bush doctrine, the Bush doctrine. Like, what does that even mean? Like, it was just the a Bush wonky. Doctrine. Right. Exactly. What is it? Right. As you beat your children if they come in late. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Probably a lot of Bush doctrines. Yeah. So she was she said, but she was smarter. She said, uh, in what respect? So, you know, the answer to a question that you don't understand is, could you be clearer? Not, uh, what? So Gary Johnson was set up and he handled it poorly. But I will tell you, I had been expecting, I think I started, as soon as Jeb lost in the primaries, I started to see what was really going on. This Trump thing was much bigger than I had thought. I thought he was just a shill to get a bush back on that ticket. But then I realized that this Trump thing was big. It was about it was about fixing the GOP and I thought the Libertarian Party because it was Ron Paul and the Tea Party who gave him all that trouble. And I predicted that the Libertarian Party would be set up. And I would say this is a big, big setup for them. And you called it. I remember that. Yeah, I, but I just, it's just so, this is the thing. Oh, and then the next video that was teed up on the YouTube when I was watching this clip, the very next video was titled... Gary Johnson is a buffoon, as are most libertarians. So in so case, case you don't bring the point home. <laughs> every libertarian is, is labeled Aleppo at this point now. Uh, and, and the libertarians, people were defending Gary Johnson as uh, a, a good enough libertarian, or maybe it's better to have the soft and cuddly libertarian but when he chose william weld who when asked about what libertarianism is he said you know peace and love and all that <laughs> i was oh. like ah oh. i had to wash my brain out by rereading harry brown's how i found freedom in an unfree world like that's what i'm reading right now just to like feel better 
Anyway. Libertarianism, it's Woodstock is what he's describing. Yeah, it's it's pot, don't you know? It's pot. Right. That's Gary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, what was funniest to me in that clip, it was his reaction when he didn't know what he was talking about, when Gary Johnson yeah. didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. He was like, what? are you serious? You serious? So Barnacle started mocking yeah. him openly? Mocking him, yeah. <laughs> I, know. Way he reacted. I know. Oh, oh, I nearly forgot that that was the show, Joe and Mika. Mika, yeah. Mika. Brzezinski, like Zika Brzezinski. just cracks me up. Like Chris Cuomo is a, is a reporter and Andrew Cuomo is the governor. Micah Brzezinski is the reporter. Her father is Zbigniew Brzezinski. Who's like the mastermind of basically right. world politics at this yeah, point yeah. that like, if people don't realize that those guys are working together, you know, right. yeah, yeah. but what they did for Trump was when this is also, I linked on that post I did yesterday, Trump, on the commercial break, somebody leaked this audio. He was talking what they call down the line. So you talk to each other on the mics, even when it's not being aired. And he said, she said, do you mind if I ask you this question? And he said, eh, nothing too hard. So she said, I think it went back and forth a couple of times. And she's like, okay, I won't ask it. No problem. And I posted that when it happened. And somebody wrote, I'm sure they did that for Ron Paul also. Oh, <laughs> <It's> yeah. like- <laughs> right. Definitely not. They told <laughs> and, Ron Paul the opposite of what they were going to ask him. Yes. Yes. Like uh, on Slumdog Millionaire, they give you yeah. the wrong answer. But by the way, that reminds me that I am going to interview Ron Paul for our show. Wow. And, uh, yes, I know. It's huge. It's huge. For October 22nd, which is going to be the bye week. Everybody should tune in for that. That's been my lifelong dream. And I have... One, my number one question for him is going to be, how did he find the courage all those years basically being mocked openly in Congress, standing alone for liberty? Just I I just want to know what makes you put up with that crap day after day. I mean, at first, like I, I, I have had to deal with like that kind of crap. And at first it's unnerving and it bums you out, makes you nervous. But eventually it just, it's just like, you know what? Forget it. (laughs) I don't want to do this anymore, but he kept going years and years and years. And I really want to know what gave him the courage and the drive to keep going. Peace and love, right? Yeah. And pot. Don't forget the pot. pot. William (laughs) Weld. All right. What, what else we got? Uh, What's the first story? We're talking about the uh, debate, not the debate. What, what was this thing? The, the forum, the two interviews, back to back. Commander Forum is what it was called, I believe. Oh, I just have to make one little point that people don't realize. Read the Constitution. The president is the commander in chief only when called into actual service. So I'm pretty sure you need a declaration of war for that. So you it's mean, been decades since we've had a commander in chief. I think it'd be great if we called in Trump to go be the general of an army somewhere. That would be a fantastic <laughs> reality show. The election, a reality show has been pretty good. I'm getting I haven't you that. watched any of that. Well, the forum was one episode. Oh, oh, the actual, <laughs> I thought you meant the, uh, the other producer. The election reality. is a reality show. Oh, you're talking about the circus, which is the name yeah. of the show. That's about the yeah. election, a reality show. So it's a reality show about a reality right. show. And it's less I, dramatic. 
Should I explain that I actually think these guys are all like acting? Scripted and acting, maybe. I thought that was totally scripted, the forum, for example. Let's just drill down on that. And even I had tweets from people who never will go down the rabbit hole with me. Like, how did Matt Lauer know, have on an index card, the follow-up question from just a random question from the audience, stuff like that. It was very clearly scripted. Anderson Cooper did that with to Martin O'Malley once and everyone's like, you're crazy. I'm like, he had the follow-up question with stats in an index card in his hand. It was just, blatant. They're, yes, they're scripted. So you were telling me though uh, that you observed some bigger picture orchestration in that, the forum. So we're talking about the forum, which was the, it was Matt Lauer interviewed Hillary Clinton in like a group that looked like a tiny little Coliseum. So they called it the forum. And then after that, Trump came out. So it was half an hour of airtime. You know, it took an hour. It's probably less than that. And they just asked them questions and uh, they didn't have to like compete with each other. But that was that's the setup that happened this week. And what was your uh, observation? Well, I'm reading this book right now called How to Sell a President, which was about Nixon running for office back in 68. And Roger Ailes was actually working on his campaign. Roger Ailes was the TV producer guy, the guy who set up the whole uh, the show, so to speak, and he calls it a show. He talks about how we don't need the press in there. This is a television show. The audience is part of the television show, and we don't want them going out and writing about how it's staged. We don't want them seeing the warm-ups, and he focused on you know, putting Nixon because they were trying to change Nixon's image. He was wooden. and Right. Yeah. And, what year uh, was this? Do you think that they're talking about Ailes setting this stuff up? 1968. So the first election. No, that was his first election. He had, that was the first time he won. I was thinking about the television debate between JFK and Nixon, where Nixon was sweating. And they said that's right. when JFK became the clear winner because Nixon had been VP and he was also very prominent in the House Un-American Activities Committee. He was really a much more popular character than you might have thought back then yeah. when he ran against JFK. So 1968 was when Nixon actually won the first time. Right, yeah. He lost because he sucked at TV before, right. or, and then he decided to make his whole campaign. It was going to be about producing a different Richard Nixon, changing his image. I, I have to say, there's an article from the TV Guide written by Senator John F. Kennedy from the 50s. Have you ever read this about how TV would make politics a reality show, basically? Really? It's crazy, and he, so he was obviously way ahead of it. Oh, he nailed it. That's yeah. what... This is why they got Roger Ailes, because Roger Ailes was a, a good, he was a talented TV producer. I think he was like 28 at the time, and they got him in there, and the whole thing, he was like, no press, we're going to put Richard Nixon in here, and he called it the arena, and it's exactly what they were doing with Hillary. Oh, the which they called the forum. Right, yeah, it's called Man in the Arena, and that forum to me the other night was Hillary in the arena. And but wasn't the I, forum the, the, like the senatorial arena yeah. in Rome? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't and that's the Coliseum, was but it was the same kind of round. Yeah, that, that's what it was based on. They actually use interchangeable terms in the book when they're talking about it. But the whole wow, idea. Wow, because that's. I remember when you showed me that you were reading that book a week or two ago, and that it, the parallels that are amazing that what they were doing in the forum. Yeah, that's it, it's the exact same thing. And what they're trying to do with Hillary is Hillary has this image where she's not a sympathetic character. She's been distant, right. cold, and like an ice queen, you know, a real psychopath for a long time. And uh, so what they're trying to do is humanize her, and they're putting her in the middle of this giant forum. They're having these 
experts ask questions that are a little bit aggressive but not too abrasive, but they're making her look like she's getting attacked on all angles. And then they're putting her in the center of the ring. And then at the end of it, at the end of her part, they said, who here was in the Iraq war? Everybody there raised their hand and they did a faraway camera shot, right? So you see everybody raising their hand and you see Hillary sitting in the middle on, on a stool like the whole room is against her. This is, this is the whole Hillary's a victim. She's going to be strong and stand up and fight and take responsibility. Take responsibility. Did it look like they were hailing her or did it look like they were attacking her? What, what are you saying the impression that photo? That impression was they're attacking Hillary. Hillary's being attacked by everyone. Right. She's a and woman she's standing being, strong. Right. Exactly. She's standing oh, strong. That would play into the news coverage the next day, which was people are really coming down on Matt Lauer for how he really drilled into that email question. And while I'm watching, I, I live tweet the thing. So if you ever want to join Twitter, it's super fun when there are live events like that. I know you do, but I'm <laughs> speaking more broadly. So what they they were so while he's doing this, I'm I'm saying he is asking her these questions. He is giving her a forum to explain everything about that email. So there was some back and forth, and she explained it in a way I hadn't heard before. That was very sound bitey for like the person who has to carry it around to them to tell their friends, oh, dismiss that from your mind. She explained it again and again. And I I it was just a setup for whereas With the Trump thing, Matt Lauer asks him a question that uh, would have given him an opportunity to explain. The question was, do you, some of the things you say are like way out of line. And how do you, don't you think that's going to cause trouble in foreign countries? (laughs) So Trump says, what? No, I just came back from Mexico. It was awesome. We did great. You want to know how great we did? Everybody got fired after we left. Everybody got fired. It was great. We did great. I was like. What? <laughs> Made absolutely no sense. No Matt sense. Lauer. Completely proved what Matt Lauer was saying. So that was, I, you know, what I think is that, of course, I think this whole thing is all is all set up for Hillary, including Trump. So for me, that was the 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 same thing. It was a demonstration for Hillary. But it, it was, was a total yeah. demonstration for Hillary, and she made the point at the end of her thing to relate it to Trump that he doesn't take responsibility. And this was this is why they set up such a dramatic shot far and away. They had they beat her back, punched her, and she she plays the victim. It it wins sympathy for her. People it humanizes yeah. her. Yeah. And when they did this this far away shot, it was a hard question. Who went to Iraq and Hillary voted for Iraq and everybody raised their hand. Oh yeah. Which was a total lie because there were people there who were like two years old. Right. When Iraq happened. And so then the camera swings around a panoramic view. And this is what Ailes talks about in the book about, you know, making this real dramatic camera moves on Nixon to, to show him as this this leader and to to get the warmth of the viewer to stir up passion and make them want to root for you. So the camera's like and, and Hillary Hillary rises as the camera's swooping down. Hillary says, I'm going to stand up. You know, and yeah. she's up and you see her standing up. And then that's the that's the image of Hillary being strong, even though she's getting attacked, and then saying, I'm going to take responsibility for my actions, even though my opponent refuses to, and I'm strong enough to admit it. It's yeah. her, uh, yeah, it's a woman in the arena, and that was the, that was the image they were trying to present. That's why he was drilling her with those questions, because it was setting her up to be vulnerable and then rise to the occasion. See, I didn't notice any of that, because I was, so, what, what, 
that fact that they were focusing on Iraq was driving me crazy because she didn't voting for Iraq. She even said, well, I assume you mean that I'm a warmonger because I voted for Iraq. I'm like, no, you're a warmonger because you were highly instrumental in the carpet bombing of Libya yeah. after Gaddafi said, people don't know this, but I, the CENTCOM or AFRICOM had arranged a sit down with Gaddafi where he said, I don't want this country falling into ruin. He and his son, Saif al-Qaddafi, were both said this. If you just bomb us and take us out, this country is going to descend into chaos. You have to have an orderly transition. We will step down. You don't have to drop any bombs. Just let us and our family escape. Uh, I'll pull back my forces just to prove it to you. So the AFRICOM guy, there's leaked audio. The AFRICOM guy says, we are watching him pull his forces back. This is absolutely legitimate. And uh, and she wouldn't even take the call. This is what the story is with some evidence, which I really got into. In January 2015, I knew they're setting her up for another Bush story where, like, where Bush supposedly avenged his dad. That's why he went back into Iraq. It's such complete crap. It's because the plans for Iraq were decades old. And the plans for Syria are decades old. And... Uh, so I think they're setting her up for being like cleaning up her mess. She's got to do some nation building. But the Iraq, she has a lot of blood on her hands, destroying water treatment plants, schools, hospitals, that no fly zone, supposed was an all fly all the time, bombs, bombs, and bombs over Libya. And nobody talked to her about that. And that's the thing. Trump brought it up, but it's not the same as, as getting drilled on why did you laugh when he died? Why did you cackle? We came. We saw he died. Ha <laughs> ha I mean, that yeah. was her reaction when she heard that Gaddafi died. It was on TV. She's bloodthirsty is what it looks like. Yeah. Yes. And, and that it just demonstrates the way this elite mentality. They're like, well, why would you create a world like that for your children? They're like, because they think of their children as always going to be right. up here. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're not smart enough to be up there, maybe, you know, you have a couple of extra. Just right. In yeah. Case. I mean, she doesn't, but no, she's. They sacrifice their kids even sometimes. I've heard that. There, I have seen, and I think I sent you a video, most disturbing video, of uh, there. There is occultism in the world, occultism, and that involves uh, rituals that that hurt people. And the one I was watching, the girl, uh, the woman said as a girl, her father basically offered her, her up to this group. I don't know if it was satanic or what the occult ritual was, but it was very high-ranking people. And she said she was the one who was in charge of keeping the other kids calm. And and it was such a compelling video. Right. Now, I don't, I don't know specifics, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, they, you can't, it's like Brzezinski said, they, they have, they are not going to adhere to traditional ethical standards. Right. They have a, in my opinion, they create this set of codes that they reinforce because they know people who live within those morals won't go outside of them. That enables them to freely operate outside of them and do whatever they want while making us believe that they're like us. I heard another interesting insight from podcast I was listening to where the guy said that uh, morality is the only thing that the people have on the elite. The elite have no morality. And that, uh, but having to keep up the appearance of morality in order to keep the people consenting was really the thing that keeps them in line, which is kind of interesting because I always think of the media 
as being the control factor. People think it's our guns. But when we did that show on what, you know, in a fight, who would win the police state or the Second Amendment? Every single person, if you will recall, called and said we would win because they wouldn't shoot at us. They didn't say because we could win. Everything depended on them not. So but. But people think that different things are keeping in check. I always think it's the media. It's the mind control. Yeah. But if you go another layer, it could be that we haven't completely lost our morality. Whereas what I think this election cycle is doing from the Libertarian Party to the GOP is trying to deliver the death blow to American founding principles. And once they do that, that that takes away our under our ability to band together like the tea party or the Ron Paul revolution. But there's a, another layer that I'm sure they would like to work on. And they do with the attacks on replacing Christianity with secular humanism and stuff. That is the morality that you could actually, if you could destroy morality, it really would free them up. Yeah. They, because they wouldn't have to restrain themselves at all. Right. So now I think I'm beginning to think that the idea of the media meeting to control us, they are they are actually what they do, like with the wars. All they really care about is the wars, in my opinion, military industrial complex war is the is the lifeblood. And in order to get us to continually sign up for endless war, they have to convince us that it's moral. So on the left, they say it's humanitarian because that's the morality of the collective. But on the right, they say it's self-defense because that's the morality of the individual. Right. So that's all you ever hear in right and left is how to justify the wars based on those two things. And so that says to me, they know morality is still alive. Right. Yeah. They're going to go after it. uh, His name's Harold Laswell. In a book about propaganda, he talks about how the way that you make moral people fight and kill that enemy is you demonize that enemy to the point of making making those young individuals who join the military willing to kill without conscience because they think it's what they have to do in order to protect their freedom and their family. So that what that's interesting because what that would do I am reading this book How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World by Harry Brown, one of the absolute greatest libertarians who ever lived. He I was so surprised at how the book started because it starts by talking about morality. And it said, you're choosing your morality. Even if you think it's being handed to you by somebody else, you are choosing it. So think hard about it and don't do it if you don't want to. You don't have to do things for other people. You don't have to do things that make you miserable. You have to, it's very, it's like really seems selfish, but he, I'm not finished with the book yet, but it's making me think, and if you are saying that what you're pointing out is one of the moral traps I think he brings out, which is if you tell them it's moral and required and expected, they it kind of relieves them of that need to go through the, the conscience. So like even when I was working as an investment banker and, and uh, I would say I would just like think through, well, is this right? And people would start laughing. I was like, what do you mean is this right? Ask the lawyer. <laughs> And I'm like, no, but I mean, is it morally right? It's like, yeah, ask the lawyer. The only, <laughs> the only thing that's right or wrong is what puts you in jail or what keeps you out of jail. And and they're they're actually completely correct about that. I mean, you really have to, you have a fiduciary duty to do everything you can for your people. 
for your clients and within the bounds of the law. The law is set up to replace the conscience in, in many respects, but to take it a step further as a soldier, you're really telling them, you know, ours is not to question why our, or wonder why ours is just to do or die. You just, right. that's the mantra. That's the morality. Yeah. And they take it even a step further to the point of if you aren't willing to do this and aren't willing to kill people you care about are going to die because of you. So yes. They, yeah. They put that fear in them. Can I, before we move on from, or we don't have to move on if you, if you want to keep talking about the forum thing, but I, I wanted to make another point. What do you, what else you got? Oh, I wanted to tell you about the people who were asking questions on Trump's side. Yes. There was something really interesting about it. A lady stood up and she was a member of the first female class at West Point. Oh so, yes. I remember yeah, that chick. Right. And then I looked her up. And everybody and, clapped like crazy. Like, yeah, you're a woman. It's like, what? No, How is that? That's, that's it. You nailed it right there. Because, oh, I thought it was crazy. Yeah, it was totally crazy. And there's an agenda there. I looked her up. Her name is Sue Fulton. She wasn't only part of the first female graduating class at West Point, but she was also the first openly gay person to serve as a member of the West Point Board of Visitors. She also spoke at the first ever LGBT pride event held at the Pentagon. Wow. And her and her wife were the first gay couple to get married at the U.S. Military Academy's Cadet Chapel at West Point, which was billed as a historic event. Really? Yet they only talked about her being part of the first female class at West Point because they didn't want all these other groundbreaking accomplishments for the lesbian community to overshadow this whole concept of vote for a woman just for the sake of voting for a woman, this agenda. So they ignored this whole part of her life, which is hugely important. But why would they pick her? I, I have no, no idea. Why would you pick someone so grossly overqualified? I, I don't know. I don't. Well, get... I'll tell you one thing: is though those people are hand selected. Like you see overlap. You know they're obviously hand selected, but you can see overlap. Like if you have something which I think is totally staged, like this whole thing, you yeah. need to reuse the players a little bit. Otherwise, you have to like tell everybody. So if this is if she's somebody who's very high up and all the stuff that she's done was were psychological moments, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, like Selma or, you know, opening, integrating schools or whatever, like, you know, these are photo ops, Rosa Parks, like these are big things that are seminal moments. And some of them, the media or whatever, get ahead of the government gets ahead of to make. So maybe she's just the person who does that stuff because she's kind of in on the higher level and you can trust her to be in that in that forum and right. not say, yeah, at the commercials, Hillary and Trump were, you know, glad handing each other and right, whatever, right. yucking it yeah. up. Chugging this is beers. working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe that's down the rabbit hole a little unnecessarily. I think there's I think there's, a lot, I think there's some uh, validity to that. This other girl. Did you see the girl who? Ask Trump about how he's going to stop veterans from killing themselves. Uh, I heard the question. That was the one where Matt Lauer had a follow-up question in his hand. Yes, right? he had a follow-up question in his hand. But she said it's 20 a year. That's on average. Right. Trump started by saying it's 22, actually. He wasn't trying – it didn't come off as rude to me. It came off as – it's actually even worse than that. 
but the reaction on her face and on the face of the people behind her looked like somebody had told them before, this is 20, it's not 22, you don't mess this up. And it looked like somebody had broken a rule that shocked them with the way they reacted. Wow. There were, there were headlines. Yeah, they talked about that the next day. I didn't even understand why. Right. Why yeah. would he even know that number? That's a weird number to know. They were misrepresenting the statistics a few years ago. They were underreporting it, is what some right. people believe. And I don't know. I don't know what Trump was doing. I think he did something on purpose. But the thing that was interesting that I found out about this well, girl, he's probably trying to show his knowledge, right? I mean, he's yeah. got to seem somewhat knowledgeable, right? Yeah, he's definitely trying to do that. She was. She was introduced like this. Then tell me what this. How this makes you think of her when you when you hear this introduction. Introduction. I'm here with Rachel Fredericks, who specialized in aviation operations in the Marine Corps, serving stateside. She lost two friends to suicide, and now she struggles herself with PTSD. She's a Republican, but leaning towards you. I thought that was interesting and still undecided. (laughs) Wow, really? They said but and talking to Trump? Yeah, they said she's a Republican, but leaning towards you. So what's the point about the the PTSD? And what does that make you think about here? What image does that put in your head? Uh, she has mental issues, right? Is that not what PTSD is when you have emotional problems coming right. from, uh, they just call it what, shell shock. It's yeah. Shell shock. And it's uh, generally associated. People get it in other circumstances, but when you're presenting it the way they presented it, it, yeah. it, it comes with the association of combat. Yeah. Right. That's combat. what I, uh, for she's sure. Never, she's never been in military combat. I and I, when you look her up, you can't find a, a word, a mention of anything about PTSD or, or anything about oh. movements to help people with suicide. Well, I will tell you this. I did look into that suicide thing a while back, and they said that, first of all, the rate of suicide among service members is lower than the general population. It's rising to get closer to the general population, and it is not correlated with combat. Not correlated with combat. Right. Right. So I think it's correlated with cognitive dissonance. But yes, how do you get PTSD without combat? She could. I can tell you how she might have gotten it. Well, you can get it from domestic abuse. Well, she fell and hit her head during a training exercise and damaged some vertebrae in her back, which ultimately led to her being medically discharged. And she was like 20 at the time. She'd never been in combat, and there's no mention of her suffering from PTSD. Now, that could have caused psychological issues, but she doesn't talk about that at all, and she seems to be very open on her websites and in her LinkedIn page. And there's no talk of her working with people who are suffering from PTSD or suicidal thoughts. There's talk about her recovering physically and getting back into doing races and stuff like that, but none of the other stuff. Yet the image they presented of her at the forum and in all these articles that bash Trump for correcting uh, veterans suffering from PTSD about suicide rates, that image they present of her is one of a wise old veteran who's suffering from PTSD, which by association of the way they presented it makes us think she got it through combat, who also is helping these veterans who are also suffering from PTSD. Yet she suffered her injury when she was 20. She's never been in combat, and there's no mention of this other stuff on her websites. And when you go to her LinkedIn page, she makes it clear that she doesn't work. She volunteers one or two days a week, which makes this whole thing kind of suspicious as to why she's here. The person that they presented at the forum just doesn't seem to match the reality. Well, I mean, her, it sounds like acting. It's totally acting. And I think she was there because she got paid. Yes. Well, maybe the way she makes money is not something that's known. I noticed when Edward Snowden was that whole, what I consider also to be a PSYOP, came out. They they said that he had a six, that not he, that there were six million people with security clearance in this country. Six million people. 
So what are what are they doing? That's why I feel like when people write all this rude stuff out of nowhere on my Facebook, I'm never rude. People write this like you're say you know rude things to me all the time, and I, I have to figure a lot of them are getting paid to do for the psyops for to be troll. in the media. Yeah, professional and he, troll. And the crisis actor stuff. When you dig yeah. into that, that that the who the Orlando shooter worked for. Uh, G4S has a, I think it has a subsidiary of crisis actors. I do believe it's a security company. Um, oh, this may be a total non sequitur, but his father was sitting behind Hillary at one of the press conferences. Did you see his sign? Like go Hillary or whatever, big H. Something. Yeah, it was like Hillary's, it was a big sign that just uh, expressed his support for Hillary and how we need her to be strong on guns. Right, and they're like, oh, we didn't know who was sitting there. It's like, really? The Give guy's son killed, the official story is what, he killed 50 people or 100, 100 people were wounded and 50 more people were killed. And that guy, because if he's a radical Islamist and that guy's right. father is not like somebody who gets screened out. Oh, it's right. just his dad. He, he didn't do anything. I mean, the First Amendment, you can't make somebody guilty. Tommy Chong went to jail for something his son did. And in the document, in the court document, it said something like, he didn't do anything, his son did it, and we entrapped the son. But he made fun of law enforcement in his movies, so we want him to go to jail instead. And he went. Look at it. Up. it look, I have, I have it on my website. It's like uh, a review of this, a.k.a. Tommy Chong. So great. That's insane. It's insane, but there's no way this guy's father is not guilty by association for purposes of security and optics at Hillary's uh, right. speeches. So the whole—I'm just saying—the whole thing is so orchestrated. It's like a joke, and sometimes also you'll carrying a giant sign with him. <laughs> I mean, he sticks out like a sore thumb. All right, we got to move on. Let's go. <laughs> um, I wanted to also point out that. One of the other things that he said about like the Mexico, when he was in Mexico and all the people got fired or whatever, it was like one guy resigned is the actual story. But that that whole Mexico thing demonstrates so perfectly how much the ambiguity is important for for hit for Trump particularly. So Obama I was saying, did I mention this, that like when Obama had his hope and change thing and he had that poster, like that Lenin style color block poster where they put uh, you would just project your own hope for change on there. Just like I've been watching Doctor Who lately and the guy has psychic paper. So he just has a blank piece of paper in his wallet and he can hold it up and Whatever he wants you to think or whatever you want to think, like, appears. So it's like, oh, Doctor Who, president of the United States. Like, oh, you're the president. You just believe right. it. Yeah. So that's so for him, for Obama, it was like a blank piece of paper. For Trump, and I've noticed this from the very beginning, from his first, his de- debut, his debutante speech, his debut as a candidate, where he said, Mexico sends its rapists, but I'm sure some people, they're good people too. So if you right. talk to Trump supporters, like he didn't say they were all rapists. He said they were some good people. It's just this art of ambiguity, I call it for him. And this right. Mexico thing was perfect for that. And I, I just wanted to point out something I posted on my website. I just re I shared it. Somebody else noticed it, but it was two side-by-side papers. And I didn't even realize that my own newspaper uh, I was, I don't remember where I was. I was traveling. I just picked it up at the airport, but it was from that day. 
maybe it was in Denver. It was September 1st. And uh, it said it, it was the exact same paper with yet a third headline. So the two headlines side by side were uh, it was it's a picture. I can actually probably show you. Let me see. Yeah, there's a green one, too. I saw it. So here's the here's the thing. It's it says this is my paper. It says Trump vows deportation. So there's like the loafer guy. See, I scream at my newspaper all the time. I have notes right. all over it. I hope yeah. there's nothing bad. Just swear uh, words. And, yeah, I know. It says Trump vows deportations. That was on the one I had. But the other one said Trump, exact same picture, same thing, little loafer on top. Trump softens his tone. It's a picture of him in Mexico. Softens his tone. Softens his tone. Then the other newspaper said, Trump talks tough on wall. Right. So that's not softening your tone. Hardens his tone. Exactly. And and whatever he so but the but the story goes on to be like really indecipherable because on the newspaper the next day it says uh Trump, just after landing in Phoenix on Wednesday from Mexico, he discovered that President Pina Nieto had tweeted that he had told the Republican presidential nominee during their private meeting earlier that day that his country would refuse to pay for the wall. At that point, the newspaper says, Trump reinserted wall talk into the speech he was going to give that day. In the newspaper, the same exact newspaper. That was on the first page. This is on page A7. Mexicans see leader humbled by Trump visit. And it says, both men took to social media to exchange blows over Mr. Trump's proposal to build a giant border wall and have Mexico foot the bill. That's what he had supposedly reinserted into his speech on Wednesday after getting the tweet from Nieto, Pena Nieto. Right. Then it says... Uh, quote, Mexico will pay for the wall, Mr. Trump wrote early Thursday on his Twitter account. Hours later, Mr. Peña Nieto responded, quote, I repeat what I told you in person, Mr. Trump. Mexico will never pay for a wall. <laughs> so this is the same newspaper on the same day. It says now you, you could say that the ambiguity, you could figure out a way to work with that ambiguity. But it says he landed on Wednesday, saw a tweet from Pina Nieto, and then made this abrasive comment. Then later in the paper, it says Trump made an abrasive comment, drawing a response from Pina Nieto on Thursday. It just right. it's as ambiguous as you could possibly be. They they either don't care about their facts. They don't care about being ambiguous, but this is prime real estate. The front page of the Wall Street Journal, not yeah. one word there is wasted. I mean, right. nothing. That right, stuff yeah. is really... So for me, all that ambiguity is just to increase the divisiveness, increase the pol- polarizing impact with the majority of the people seeing it Hillary's way and just this irate minority, which can cause a lot of trouble, right. seeing it the other way. Exactly. And, and they're playing into that. There's something called confirmation bias in psychology. Yes. And this plays totally into that because if you throw enough out there that satisfies one or the other, confirmation bias will cause people to see what, what confirms yeah. what they believe and ignore the rest. So they just grab onto what, what satisfies them and they don't see any of the other stuff. Yeah, it's an analytical fallacy. When I did my right. CFA, this chartered financial analyst thing, like 
you have to take all these tests on how to be a, like a hedge fund manager, which I never ended up being because I got this <laughs> much less lucrative gig. <laughs> uh, no. uh, oh, yes. I mean, so lucrative. I <laughs> actually lose money, but that's OK. <laughs> um, whatever. Well, anyway, um, fortunately, I support myself with my real job, which is uh, wife and mother. What do you call that? Stay at home mom, domestic servant. Yeah. But uh, so the CFA has all these biases that you have to recognize so you don't do it. And yeah. a big data mining is just finding stuff that'll support your viewpoint. Yeah. And that's all over. That's in on the same page in the newspaper. I mean, that's what this those two those two articles were. It was just picking right. bits of information to support your viewpoint without any respect for the truth whatsoever. There's no desire to send the information to get the story right and tell people, which, yeah. which reminds me of the Gary Johnson thing with Aleppo. And it's so easy to know all the answers when you get the answers in advance. I mean, to be in a guy asking the questions, it's easy to be Alex Trebek. My sister pointed out that John Lovitz, when he was on Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, you know how he's always like, oh, the answer is croissant. You know, like he gets yeah. it. He knows it. He knows how to say it. And John Lovett said, yeah, it's easy to sound smart, Alex, when you have all the answers in front of you. <laughs> and another thing that uh, is a classic in my family of Jeopardy fans is the Wolf Blitzer appearance on Jeopardy, where he like loses, like at the end, he ends like $5,000 down. Like it's like the worst performance oh, I've really? ever seen. Yes, because he doesn't know any of the answers. He's just reading them. But that's why the barnacle thing made me mad because he, when he openly mocked Gary Johnson, are you kidding? It's like, well, you set him up, you gave him a question out of context, you pronounced it funny. And, and I, like I wrote a blog post about it. I read this Wall Street Journal propaganda cover to cover every day. It mentions Aleppo, but I, I wouldn't have known. I actually had to look it up on Wikipedia, which he should have done ahead of time. Not, I knew already because I'd looked it up. And I still couldn't really remember. I didn't realize it was the biggest city. I thought it was the second biggest city. But the point is that you, that kind of wonky insider stuff is an easy way to be nasty on people, especially if everybody gets together ahead of time and sets you up. Right. But can I just say one more thing about the uh, art of ambiguity and how I think it drives so many of the issues that really uh, – are the contentious, I, I consider to be kind of fabricated, evergreen types, uh, astroturf type stuff, that they they get to people's emotions, they create movements by deliberately divisive subjects. So Eric Holder went for Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman because it was divisive. Uh, the Bundy Ranch got a lot of press because it was divisive. It wasn't his land. It was federal property with this obscure rule about how you can graze. So it was just not a clear cut question that could get people. Uh, people on the other side were like, this guy's on federal land. This is stupid. You know, it just makes it's an easy way to have a really divisive thing. Right. But I noticed that the Dallas police chief resigned this week, surprisingly, because he was at the top of his game and uh, I started thinking weird stuff about Dallas when I saw the videos that I posted on last week's podcast show notes where there there's obviously something being covered up there. So go check that out. Think what you want to think. I don't know. But 
I noticed that that whole issue was rife with all that uh, divisiveness, the ambiguity, and it was actually laid out in the Wall Street Journal in this one article. He's it's a journal article that said for Dallas Police Chief David Brown, outreach is central. And it says Chief Brown has been a solid presence in this tragic moment with his bald head and glasses, four stars adorning each side of his collar, speaking deliberately but with emotion. His credibility has perhaps been enhanced because he's not only a police officer like those who died under his command, but also a black man like those shot in Minnesota and Louisiana. <laughs> and this is the crazy part of this article. Crazy. So that's some, you know, where it, that he helps emphasize like a dichotomy and but talk about emphasizing two sides of the issue in this is in that same article and i never heard it covered anyplace else in the press i did try to verify the facts in the archives of the dallas morning news i guess they could be altered but i accept it in 2010 his son the chief son david brown jr was shot and killed by police According to news reports at the time, the son was behaving erratically at an apartment complex in the Dallas area. The younger Mr. Brown shot and killed a man who arrived at the complex and later fatally shot a police officer who responded. Other officers who arrived at the scene exchanged fire with the son and killed him. Wow. So his son killed a cop and was killed by a cop. I mean, it just it's the the. There has to be, and and none of this stuff was really overemphasized. So for me, I feel like it's supposed to have a subtle effect. And I actually got an email. I lived in Dallas for six or seven years. I got an email from someone there saying, uh, I was asking some questions. So like, oh, that Chief Brown, I mean, he's, I really respect him and trust him and had, you know, his tr- son went to jail and he stood up and had to put him in jail and and that really impressed me and I'm I'm thinking his son was killed. So yeah. I don't know when he went to jail, but there are subtle there is a subtle impact of what uh of these kind of both sides to see both sides of the issue. Yeah, I agree. It uh, they can bait people too and it's the stuff they're going to show in the news is going to be the most dramatic, the most the highest level of tension and conflict and they're the way they're able to bait people like in that circumstance with Gary Johnson, is they know that it, that he's probably going to react a little strangely. When you say it's so strange, that's going to make people react strange. So they can take that reaction and go, what, you don't get it? You don't get it all? And they can have their sound bites ready to go. And it's just like delivering the sound bite to the media. And they, yes. they in turn stereotype libertarians as not knowing. I know. It, it really, that was a bummer. And it was, in my opinion, predictable. Right. But... That's what they're doing with Colin, not to go too deep on Colin Kaepernick, but ever since last week, yeah. here's some uh, things that have happened is there have been police officers who have in some so cities. So Colin said, Kaepernick was the no, football right. player who would not stand up for the national anthem. Right. Yeah. He, because of his support for Black Lives Matter. Well, he stood his his initial impression that he left was his statements. He said that police officers are targeting black men and Black men are oppressed because of police officers, and he's not going to stand up in a country where there is so much oppression against the black man. Then he went on to insult police officers by saying that they don't have as much training as the people who who do hairstyling, and they're allowed to carry guns. So (laughs) it was immediately divisive. Right, okay. 
And since then, there have been police officers say that they're not going to protect the stadiums when he comes to play. There have been more they players. You can't say that. I know. That's exactly. <laughs> you can't, can't say that. Oh, so, I'm so, so crazy. The, force, okay, the forces are marshalling on both sides is, is what's happening because he's he put this in the national spotlight in a divisive way. So momentum is gaining to pit these two groups of people together on an even larger scale. Yes, that's true. But I have to. Uh, oh, and wasn't his didn't it wasn't his new girlfriend a oh, kind right, of yeah. provocateur of some kind? Is, Supposedly, a couple yeah, of people emailed me that she's been telling him what to do with her bedroom eyes. And that's when he got all politically involved. He wasn't active online anyway for any of this. And they've been dating six months, apparently. See, that's the thing that's they have uh one form of that is honeypot. I never understood, like, uh, where they get people to tell secrets. They insert those oh, girls. Right. I just don't know. I never understood how it was so easy for someone to be inserted into that situation. Like, how easy is it to pick up a uh, a famous football player? Like, I must have been doing something wrong because I never had that kind. Of, I couldn't just say, "Hey, I'm getting the I'm getting she that was guy." Dating my his teammate. She was Ooh. dating another teammate. Oh, that, and, it probably didn't work on that guy. Yeah, they got in a fight. Kaepernick and that guy got in a fight. They're not on the same team anymore. Then those two started dating shortly after. She's but like maybe, a popular. You know, she maybe is a, what, a, Shahrazad? Who's the one? She's an MTV host and like. No, I know. But what's the, the person in history? Uh, Matahari? There's somebody who was known to like seduce oh. the, the, the officer's to get uh, secrets. And so maybe if she started with the first guy and tried to get him to do it and he didn't do it, so right. she had to move on. But she's probably, I don't know. I don't know. Right. See, this is all speculative. We yeah, need to totally. bring it back down to earth. But so, you just triggered a thought that I, uh, something that drove me crazy. I heard on, I think it was CNN today, that there's uh, a an entertainer in Detroit raising money to get 11,000 rape kits that have not been processed in Detroit processed. So I guess it was not crystal clear, but I think what I was understanding was people were raped. They do this rape kit, which like collect samples or whatever so that they have evidence. And 11,000 of them have been warehoused because they, because of budget cuts and they don't have resources or whatever. Now, I guess this is to emphasize that Detroit is a totally non-functioning society and needs more government or whatever because of the government bankruptcy. But this kind of thing makes me crazy like that. The Wounded Warrior Project, I'm not saying don't contribute to it, but let me just tell you the problem. And like public schools have all these fundraisers. If public schools just I don't think it's it should be a function of government. And I believe that they're just indoctrination centers. But crime like rapes and uh, national defense, assuming it's legitimate, just war. Those are, if you, unless you're an absolute anarchist, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, anarcho-capitalism in my case. But even if you're just a minarchist, like a libertarian who wants small government, the function of criminal justice and national security are the legitimate functions of government. Government absorbs 40% of all the productivity of the country. 40% of the money in this country is spent by all the governments collectively. If they can't, you, you shouldn't spend a penny on a school 
or a penny on a road or anything if you can't process rape kits or take care of wounded soldiers. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it just right. makes me crazy that the government spends $7 trillion a year and one way or another is not able to, don't collect the garbage, but right. you can have private garbage collectors, but you, the, but if you're not, if you can't, if the government can't even do a rape kit, what Might as well mean? privatize it. What's it mean to process a rape kit? Like what? I think it's to extract DNA or other samples that could provide evidence, or like they could run it through a database and see if that guy's out there. Okay. You know what I mean? That was my understanding of it. But I'm just saying that's just a regular crime. I mean, regular right. crime fighting. They should be able to do it. So that's just a peeve that I noticed today. You know. Yeah. So I had one more little thing. I think we should probably wrap it up. I have one more little thing, but do you have any, any, anything else? There was something that, that disturbed me that, uh, I, do you want to go ahead? Do you want me to? No, you go. It was with Veta, Veta, Greta Van Susteren. Oh yes. She stepped down. She stepped down. Yeah. And, and she got the way she stepped down was she was delivered snail mail that told her that she wasn't going to be coming back. And I'm like, people fire people through snail mail still. That's crazy. Not even, it's a not believable. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Her husband the whole Fox shakeup thing from Greta to Gretchen to Roger Ailes. I don't, I don't get it. I think, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 there's something going on. They're going to start an online network. I guarantee it. And Greta's going to go there. It'll be Ailes and maybe Trump. I think you've even talked about Trump before doing something online, but they'll have a big network online. Oh, oh, oh. Well, one thing I do think about Trump and Cruz, when they went with Cambridge Analytica or whatever, some massive, highly sophisticated data analysis company, the data these guys are getting on, on millions, tens of millions of Americans is going to be valuable. Yes. They talk about in that book, and this is 1968, how sophisticated the data collection is. And that's back then. Can you imagine now with Facebook, we give all of the information they need to social networks. We just give it to them. Somebody wrote on my, on my blog that I was either a shill or a useful idiot for directing people to my Facebook page, given that it's a CIA front operation. So I'm supposed to not, you know, you supposed to, what are you supposed to do at that point? Not do anything at all because it's all control. I don't, I, I don't put a lot of personal stuff on Facebook, but it's kind of a catch 22. You can't use it to communicate if you, if you don't access it, even though I'm, but the fact that they put it out there means for sure they know how to rein it back in or that exactly. it's, it's, that it it's net in their benefit, of course. And what's his name? Zuckerberg censors whatever he wants and then we're like oh we're mad for like an hour and then nobody cares anymore if it's a truly private organization then i don't have a problem with it but yeah, if it's it, but if it's getting government funds which i'm sure it has you know in the yeah. background use technology that was uh a lot of this stuff with driverless cars robots and stuff uses technologies developed by the department of defense other research it's our it shouldn't be i hate it it's going to ruin jobs and stuff and change our society to a highly controlled society but when they use that tech out in the world and it creates monopolies on things like social media or whatever that's when it's not okay for the private owner to censor stuff because it's really a political tool right. from the top not a political tool from the populace a political tool from the controllers yeah they have government contracts too i looked that up a while ago they're totally 
I mean, they're yeah. totally been influenced by the government. The Greta thing is more of a, a, a lighthearted thing because it just kind of okay. really caught me off guard. All right, then we're going to end it on that because saw, I'm not going to go down my rabbit hole. I saw a couple of headlines back. Like I clicked on one headline that frankly terrified me. And the headline was Greta Van Susteren to Fox. Show some decency and return my photos. I'm like, whoa. I mean, the first thing that pops in my head are these indecent photos of Greta Van, the most asexual person in the world. I like Greta on television, but I don't want, I don't want that entering that area of my mind. I read that article. Turns out it was just pictures of like her dog and, you know, a oh, like stuff that was in her desk. Right. It was like a provocative a headline with like, you know, I was like, thank goodness. <laughs> right. So, so I'm reading that one. And then, Why wouldn't they return them? I know. <laughs> Who's holding those over? I mean, that's, that's within that article. You know how another article will pop up and you'll click here. The the headline for that article was Greta Van Susteren is about to find out how good she had it. Oh, my God. It's provocative Greta headlines. Yeah, this stuff is – it's – we're going somewhere with it. Then that one was just an article about how, you know, she tried to get more money and didn't get it. And I'm like, thank goodness this wasn't a description of something (laughs) dirty. Like it's not dovetailing into the – Gretchen, Megan Kelly, exactly. Roger Ailes thing. <laughs> when Greta came in, it's like, oh, I, I never yeah. knew Roger Ailes to ever. He never tried to. Why, why didn't you sexually harass me? Roger, <laughs> right. Roger didn't sexually harass me. Bastard. Uh, the final headline that I saw when reading that one, it said, Greta bangs in the kitchen with her neighbor's husband. Like, oh, <laughs> what? It did not was, say that. You're making that just, up now. He was just helping her hammer pictures on the wall. making that up. I made the last one up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. See, I got the truth star. Yeah. Truth star is always working. That's it. it. Anyway, although I did get fooled by a Chelsea Clinton fighting with her husband, it was some satirical thing. It was like the onion, but I had never heard of it. And it was like, she threw a TV out the window. She threw all this stuff out the window. And like, for one second, like I posted on Facebook and I was like, wow. And then I thought, wait, that can't be right. Like it said, Chelsea Clinton's divorce promises to be very public. And it, and it was just a complete article. Uh, anyway, I, occasionally <laughs> my truth star does fail, but not this time. So juicy right. story like that. That's it. I'm not going to do my uh, I'll, I'll just tell people the TPP saga continues and be alert to language that is all over the Wall Street Journal that says. Uh, basically, you will be emasculated if Obama doesn't get the <laughs> TPP through. There's a lot of that coming out of the Middle Eastern war stuff. You are being emasculated by Obama. You need to promote this war. You are being emasculated if you don't get the TPP. It was, here's just a quote that says, uh, the linchpin of President Obama's pivot to Asia, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, faces opposition from both presidential candidates and hangs by a thread in Congress. Its defeat would deal a heavy blow to American credibility. And this article, I'm not going to get into the whole entire article, but the the last line was uh, d- the last paragraph is despite its many mistakes, the U.S. remains the most credible guarantor of global peace and security. No invisible hand will secure this outcome when we pull back chaos results and nothing in human affairs is worse. <laughs> wow. Nothing, wow. nothing in human affairs. When you pull back, it does. Chaos does not 
reign because society is self-ordering. But nothing in human affairs is worse than chaos. Yeah. Like totalitarianism that kills tens of millions of their own citizens. Right. Nothing kills more people than their own governments. It's right. called democide. And like over 100 million people died in the 20th century at the hands of their own governments. Yeah. But there's nothing worse than chaos. Exactly. It's, it's, I don't even it's, it's a form of atrocity prof- propaganda kind of just like every, everything's going to be terrible. You know, your kids are going to we're going to take your kids are going to die. I mean, it's, they try yes. to scare the life out of people. So I would just say keep your eyes open for that kind of language for both the TPP and Syria. And we can dig into it a little more right. on our next propaganda report where Brad Binkley and I, Monica Perez, tell you what the news really means. So until next time. Thanks very much, Binkley. Thank you. Go to my website, freedomactradio.com, and go to my YouTube page. Okay, and monicaparejshow.com, we'll post this stuff. uh, I'll try to get as much new stuff out there as we can, and I will put show notes uh, if maybe this wasn't as media as last time. Last time I have like a million (laughs) show notes because the the controversial stuff you have to back up. Especially if you're not getting any calls, people can't hold our feet to the fire in real time. But always check the show notes. And uh, until next time, this is the Propaganda Report. See you guys later. The wire taps.